chapter 3. So this morning, we're going to continue where we've, what we've been doing the last couple weeks. And uh, we, we have some visitors today, so I do want to backtrack a little bit. But it's also good for us to remember what we've been talking about. Um, we've been in Hebrews for a while. We started in the end of the spring. And the Lord, the Lord led us out of Hebrews for a moment. Um, I'll be honest, I don't know how long uh, we're going to be out of Hebrews. I, I can't wait to go back, but uh, there's just something that the Lord has been pressing in upon us that I want us to continue to look at until He says otherwise. Um, and if, if you have not been here, and as a reminder for those who had, we have read in the beginning of each two Sundays... Uh, The account of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, where they are taken into custody for their ministry in Christ. um, And they're told to renounce it and to not preach or teach or do anything in the name of Christ. But while they're with the, the leaders of Israel, it had become obvious to the leaders of Israel that Peter and John, two ordinary men, uneducated in the scriptures, fishermen... They knew something had happened to these men. Something had changed these men. Something was directing these men. And it said that they had recognized that they had been with Jesus. And over the last two weeks, and and, and, and this week, I've wanted to lay before us some characteristics of those who have been with Jesus. Characteristics of a disciple of Christ that can be recognized by the world. They might not be able to explain it, but they can see it. But it can also be seen by your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we spoke two weeks ago that someone who has been with Jesus, who has been affected by the gospel, first and foremost, loves Christ. Loves him. And we read that terrifying passage in 1 Corinthians that said that for those who do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, may they be damned. That is a solemn, solemn warning. And we defined love as valuing something. Great. And so to love Christ is to see Him as your greatest treasure. To value Him for His infinite worth. And so ultimately, if you're going to be loving something so valuable, something so precious, you would love it more than anything. More than life itself. And we saw that Jesus basically told those who were following Him that if they did not love 
him more than their family, they were not worthy of following him. If they did not love Jesus more than their life, they were not worthy of following him. Now, that's a little bit different from the way that we hear uh, Christianity talk about Jesus today. That Jesus wants in, in open arms, everyone come how you are. Jesus has stipulations. If Christ is not your greatest treasure, you are not worthy of following Him. That's why He says, if you were to follow Me, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Die to yourself. Give your life and follow Me. And if you desire to, to keep your life, you will lose it. But if you desire to lose your life for the sake of the one you love, Jesus Christ, you will gain your life. This, the Bible is clear, is evidence of a Christian, of someone who loves Christ. And last week, we talked about the characteristic of someone who lives for Christ. And I mentioned as we started that they are so similar. For someone who truly values Christ, they will live for Christ. And I said, how do they how do they love him so? How do they live for him the way that they do? And it's because of their knowledge of him. Like I gave the example of someone who lives for baseball. They love it because they know it. The crack of the bat, the smell of the popcorn, the coachmanship between the coaches. They know all about it. They love it and they live for it. That should be the explanation of a Christian. You love Christ. And we have to be clear. We have to use specific words. Our culture tends to just say the word God. And it typically means nothing to no one. But we have to remember what we learnt, first learned in Hebrews. Is that God has spoken through what? His Son. His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, you must not be ashamed of me. The name of Christ, Jesus Christ, is the way to God. You cannot just claim God in a general sense. It is found he is found, life is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. Well, let me ask you this. If that, just something for you to take home and think about. How many times this week in your home, just in your home, was the name Jesus spoken? And I don't mean at the table when you say in Jesus' name. I mean, are there conversations in your home about our Lord? Is His name spoken between husband and wife? 
father and son, mother and daughter. I pray that those conversations happen. I pray that the name of Christ is proclaimed even just in our homes. Because our homes need saving. And there is no other name except the name of Jesus that can save our homes. Do not be ashamed of Him. Bring Him to your house. Give Him to your children. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. Have these conversations. Talk about Jesus at home. What do you talk about at home? Those are the things you love. Those are the things you live for. Now, I jumped into this series in haste. Whether it be sinful haste or obedience to the Lord, I'm not so sure of that, but I jumped into this series. And I didn't give you any direction as to why we were discussing these things. Other than the fact that I explained to you that this is the characteristics of a true Christian. And so, in a very backwards way, I'm going to give you the introduction to this sermon series today. I'm going to explain to you why we are doing this. And I want to do it. We In our new members class, we talked about church history. And church history is so vital to the church today. Understanding it, knowing it. And so I want to help us to understand why we might be having these discussions today with a story from church history, but also with 2 Timothy chapter 3. This isn't going to be me walking through verses 1 through 17. If that was the case, we, you should have brought your lunch. But I want to give an introduction to what we're doing here. So, with all that said, I want to pray one more time. Just a quick prayer. Spirit of God, might you lead us into life everlasting and an understanding of your word. Make us worthy of a life of Christ. Make us worthy of, uh, of our calling. Make us a church worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Help us in the name of Christ for his glory. Amen. So in uh, first the story from church history and... In the early 1700s, in America and in Europe, the church was becoming dull, like an unsharpened knife. Um, the people in the pews were cold, arrogant, and they reflected the preaching of that time. There had, uh, the church had just come out of what was known as the Puritan age and was on fire for the gospel and the kingdom, but it had fizzled and was fizzling in America and in Europe. Uh, and it reflected, as I said, the preaching of that time. But in 1734, in a little New England town... In a church pastored by a man named Jonathan Edwards, something started to happen. 
Something was taking place. Something divine, supernatural was going on. Edwards was preaching Christ. He was thundering the gospel to his congregation week after week, Sunday by Sunday. And the normal habit of this congregation on a Sunday morning, get ready for it, they would come together in the late morning, they would sing, and they would listen to Edwards preach for an hour to an hour and a half. They would take a break, they would get their lunch, all go out to the churchyard, have lunch together, let the kids play. After a couple hours, they would gather back together, maybe under an oak tree, and they would listen to part two of Edward's sermon. That was their normal routine. Edwards mined the scriptures. He sought Christ from Genesis to Revelation, and he sought to seek forth Christ to bring him out to his hearer, to his people. He was exalting Christ in his preaching. And there's a quote from a book that was written about this time of church history. It said, It was in the latter part of December in 1734 as Edwards informs, and it quotes Edwards, the Spirit of God began extraordinarily to set in and wonderfully to work among us. Now, let me just let you know that when an extraordinary work of the Spirit, we're not talking about the way that we might have think the Spirit works in some churches around here. I mean that the love of Christ was lit amongst these people. That not only were they professing Christ, but their towns were changing. An extraordinary, the, the move of the Spirit of God began extraordinarily to set in and wonderfully to work among us, and there were suddenly one after another, five or six persons, who were, to all appearance, savingly converted, and some of them wrought upon in a very remarkable manner. End of quote. Now, notice something that the conversions came from the pews. It came from the churchmen. It came from within. And how can that be? How can conversions take place of such? And this did not. This just began in New England and began to spread throughout all of uh, America and into England and Scotland. And you had men who were taking up the word of Christ. The gospel was thundering Christ before people and calling people sinners. Because at that point, they had fizzled so much that they thought that they sinned not. And John and Charles Wesley, across the pond, around the same time, stood in the pews of the churches in England and said, You are a sinner. Repent and trust Christ. You know what they did? They threw them out of the churches. They threw them out because there were no sinners in this place, they said. But John and Charles knew. They knew 
the blackness of their soul. And they knew the purifying, cleansing blood of Christ. That's who wrote, oh, for a thousand tongues we sing, right? Oh, if we had that many tongues to sing the praises of God. The people in the pews that were dead and cold who knew not sin, they didn't need one mouth or tongue to sing praises because they had no praises to sing. But Charles and John, they said, I don't have enough mouths to sing the praises of Jesus Christ. And so we had this going on in America and in England and abroad. But how could that be? How could that be within the churches? Such coldness and dreariness. Well, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1. But understand this. Paul writing to Timothy, a young elder pastor, but understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will become times of difficulty. I want you to understand as you read those words, last days, this includes the days that you're living in now. There will become times of difficulty. Notice who he describes and how he describes them. For, there, for people will be lovers of self. Please hear these descriptions. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents. Notice we're not talking about murderers, adulterers, thieves. We're talking about lovers of money, proud, arrogant, disobedient to parents. They are ungrateful, unholy. Verse 3, heartless unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, that's a horrible crowd. But where are they located? Verse 5. Having the appearance of of godliness having the appearance of godliness they sat in the pews they sat in the church they appeared as Christians yet no love of Christ love of self love of money and love of pleasure We live in a time and place, dear people, a time being now and a place being America, Arkansas, Fulton County, where this is so obvious and so heart-wrenching. Two things have struck the so-called church and they've always existed, but it seems to be getting louder and louder. And the first one is what is known as nominal Christianity. I know it real well. I lived it for about 20 years. <clears throat> nominal meaning name. Meaning we name 
ourselves as Christians. And that is the only thing that characterizes us as Christians, is what we call ourselves. That's nominal Christianity. And it is so prevalent. Because why? Because we've made Christianity and salvation as easy as ABC. We haven't told people to take up their cross. We haven't told people to count the cost. We have not told people that they are sinners. And there is nothing they can do about it except for completely and fully trust in someone they haven't seen. The Son of God. Who like the bronze serpent in the wilderness had to be lifted up. I heard a, a, a local pastor say, uh, Brother Garrett, who's been here a few times, I've always taken an approach to that passage of the bronze serpent and always fixated on the, the aspect of faith, which is there. But he reminded me that the bronze serpent was identical to the serpents that bit the Israelites. But he was not. The, the bronze serpent was a serpent, but it had no venom. It had no poison within it. And Christ Jesus is like us, but without venom and without poison. And we must look to Him and look to Him alone and trust that the only way that we may have life and life everlasting is through the man Jesus Christ. That is not preached today. And so people just say, oh, I'll take Jesus and add a shun to the end of it. I'll be a Christian. You can call me that. But the other thing that we're seeing among the church today, there's a lot of isms we could name it, but basically it's just becoming like the world. It's becoming like everyone else, which is the exact opposite of what your Bible teaches. The Bible says that Jesus saved you to make you completely different from everybody else. That's what it means to be a saint. To be set apart. To be made different. And the churches, we, we want to be like the world. We, wanna, we want the world to come to us so we're going to act like them. And so we don't teach what the Bible says. We're going to slowly follow the world about this whole marriage thing. Being between a man and a woman. I've learned something the last couple weeks, and I mentioned this a couple Sundays ago in Sunday school class. The further progress the world makes in the moral and social realms, the crazier we're going to look. I promise you. I promise you. I don't want to try to decide whether to go down that road or not. No, I will. Genesis 1 was written by God. Genesis 2. 
if you want Christ, you cannot remove Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. You cannot. The power of the Word is what saves us. The power of the Gospel. And it began in Genesis. And so as the world and some of the church who doesn't want to offend anyone, doesn't want to look like a bigot, a hater, whatever, as they slowly move, we have to stand firm. And what the Bible says. It's become, it's become very obvious in the last week or two, for me, I guess, that the... Let me, let me back up. You have to have a, a, an understanding of the world, okay? You do. You have to have an understanding of the world. But here's what I can tell you. Do not get it from a network news, okay? Don't do it. Even if it starts with F and ends with X. Because guess what? Do you know how much of the world and its evilness and wickedness have I seen come from Fox News in the last three weeks? They're just following along. Your worldview better not come from a channel on the TV. Because you will drift and follow right along. Your worldview needs to come from this. That's the drift. Now, so many have an appearance of being godly, of being Christian, but nothing... Look back at that verse. I didn't read the rest of it. Verse 5, I'm sorry. Verse 5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power... I hear a lot about power from preachers and they want the power of the blessing or they want power of a life change or they want the power of the Spirit to do this or do that. The power of the cross of the gospel is for salvation. And I don't mean just so that you get to heaven. I mean so that you might be saved from who you are. You might be saved from the wrath of God. That you might be made like Jesus. That is the power you need. And these people do not know that power. They deny it. They pretend. It's the power of the gospel that saves us and that is saving us continually. Its power is more than a one-time explosion, but it's an energy of a lifetime of energy that is creating worshipers of Jesus. It's creating imitators of Jesus. It's creating slaves to Jesus in the kingdom of God. And that should define you, a worshiper, an imitator. And another one, an expresser. We'll get to that in a minute. And you might say, hey, Luke, come on, give us more credit than that. That's not us. 
Well, let's just, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. That's not you. Look around where you live. We have a missionary field in Fulton County. There are many amongst us in our neighborhoods that appear to be godly but deny power. Your neighbors, your families, your friends. Because they have heard a lie. This is not just an individual issue. I want you to understand. But this is an issue about the church. Which, yes, is comprised of individuals. There's nothing more heartbreaking than a church that has the name of Christ on its sign but will not let Him in the front doors. And you say, oh, I'm sure they name the name of Christ, but do they seek Him in the Word? Do they be, are they obedient to what He says? May this never be of Ozark's Bible Church. That the closest we get to Christ is what's on our, our sign. May this not be us individually and collectively. So that's why I'm doing this. That's why we're talking about these things. Because I love you. And I have to give an account for your soul. And I'm going to speak things that are hard and difficult to you. I'm speaking them to myself every week. The response is repentance and faith. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or 5 minutes. The response, the response is faith and repentance. Turning from the world. Turning from your sins. Changing your mind and seeking Christ. As we go through this series, as we spend time Sunday by Sunday talking about these things, we want to describe a Christian, who they truly are and what they truly do. You think about a nominal Christian. I've, I've said this, I'm just repeating myself. You cannot distinguish them from an unbeliever. There are some unbelievers who are probably nicer than a lot of nominal Christians. I know most of them tip better. So we've spent two weeks, and we'll do one more week, about really the idea of who is a Christian. Like, who are they in the core? We talked about it. They have a love for Christ. They live for Christ. And Lord willing, next week we're going to talk about they're going to have a longing for Christ. A desire for Christ. So you, I, ask, I just have, have to ask you today, do you love Christ? Is your life lived for Him? Do you go to bed or wake up Does your mind wander and you 
just long for Jesus. Look at, um, look back at chapter 3 here. You have to take inventory of your own life. I can't do that. I'm just giving you the tools to do it. Look, does this... A Christian loves and lives and longs for Christ. But these people, in chapter 3, they love self. They love money. At the end of verse 4, they love pleasure. What are they living for? And then, out of these things, they're proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Unholy, you know what that means. They just act and look like everybody else. A Christian does not look like an unbeliever. You can distinguish a Christian from an unbeliever by their love for Christ, how they live for Christ, and that they long for Him. I pray that this is who you are in private, at home, at work, and at church, and that your love Your life and your longing touches every part of who you are. Mom, Dad, you parent because of your love for Christ. Not because you live for your kids. But because you live for Christ. And so you parent them as the Bible tells you to. And guess what? Lord willing, they'll love and live for Christ too. I've had I've had a couple people express to me over the last year and a half. I just don't understand why we haven't grown as a church. I say we have to start here. We have to examine ourselves. Do we love, live, and long for Christ? Because if not, this is it. If you find yourself lacking in those three things, here's what I don't want you to do. Try harder. Please don't try harder. Because you will fail you will end up living for trying harder. And you will be longing to be right. And it's just loving yourself is all it is. If you find yourself struggling or failing or not meeting this of loving, living, and longing, what's the answer? Repent and believe. (laughs) Trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. Because you ain't got it in you. That's why he came. You understand that? That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why the Lord promised the Holy Spirit that you might love, live, 
and long. Life of faith is a life of dependency on someone that can do. You cannot. But by the grace of God and the Spirit of God and the Word of God, you can. Pursue Him, Jesus Christ. Pursue Him. What are you pursuing? What are you doing? What are we doing? We have the greatest treasure ever. And we're going after this and that and that and over there. We're spending our money this way and that way. We're wasting our time over here and over there. And Jesus isn't named in our house. Pursue Him. Seek Him. What did He say? If you knock, it'll be open. If you seek, you will find. Not because you're a good seeker or you knocked louder, but because He is faithful to open and to reveal Himself to you. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He shed His blood. He paid a ransom. He will have His. He will have His children. Depend on Him. On His blood. On His work. Not on your effort. Now, just about done. So here's the roadmap for the next few weeks. Where we've been, what we're, where we're going, and there's prob- there, I, Lord, there might be a few stops in between. But we've talked about love and live. Lord willing, next week we'll do long, long for Christ. Now, I've there are three very important visible fruits that come from someone or a church that loves, lives, and longs for Christ. Three things, and I've kind of already touched on them. And this is where we'll be going the next few weeks. There is exaltation. You know what it means to exalt? It means to raise up. So those Christians who love and live and long for Christ, the simplest word, they will worship Him. They will worship Him above all things. Number two, imitation. Exaltation, imitation. Someone who loves, lives, and longs for Christ is becoming like Christ. It's inevitable. Number three, expression. You live long in love. You worship Christ. You become like Christ. And guess what? People will know it. Not just because... You tell them, you will tell them, but because they'll see the gospel in your life. They'll see the love of Christ in your life. Exaltation, imitation, and expression. That's what we desire to do as Christians and as a church. And that's where we're going. And the outcome of all this is what's on our sign, what's on the top of our bulletin. 
that we individually and collectively have one purpose in our lives. That's seeking to set forth Christ. Seeking to set forth Christ. That Christ would be glorified in all that we do. How we love our spouse. How we raise our kids. How we educate our kids. How we keep our finances. How we spend our free time. How we engage with the world. How we engage with the government. All of those things for one purpose. Jesus Christ and Him alone. And if you remove Him from any of those aspects of your life, it might not fail in your eyes, but it will lack giving glory to the Creator of the universe. Spiritually, eternally, that department of your life will fail. But you might be too blind to know it. Now, this is all impossible apart from our collective cry to the Lord for mercy. So, you know what we're going to do tonight? We're going to pray. I don't know how long, what about. I do know it about. These things. These things are the things that should be filling our prayers. Eternity. Eternity. Our our prayer list should not look like a sickbed list. Do you know why? just dust we're concerned about eternal things heavenly things does that mean we don't pray for the sick absolutely not we're told to but when our prayer list looks more like a hospital bed list we've got our priorities backwards so you know I don't know what else to pray for read your Bible Read your Bible. There are countless prayers for you to start. And I guarantee you they will all bring glory to God and they will teach you what and how to pray. But we must do it together. We must be united in one accord in the spirit and mind of Christ for the sake of the glory of Christ. If you don't like prayer, you're not going to like tonight. This series is because I don't want us to find ourselves in 2 Timothy chapter 3. The first half. The bad half. Let's just read in conclusion the rest of it. Okay? Stop it, or start at verse 10. You, however, Paul to Timothy... In contrast to the people before here, you, however, have followed my teaching. Can I just ask you, if we say Paul's teaching, what's another name for that? The gospel. Jesus' teaching. You don't pit Jesus against Paul. I don't like what Paul says about this, but I know Jesus didn't say anything about that, so I'm going to stick to Jesus. Can't do that. You can't do that. 
You have followed my teaching, Jesus' teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My persecutions and sufferings have happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endure. Yet for them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life. Is that you? Is that me? Is that us? To live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why? Because everyone else is going to be moving this direction, and we're not moving in the other direction. What are we doing? We're standing here. Firm. Solid. And you know what? They're going to come back, and they're going to persecute you. They're going to call you names and slander you. But Paul says, hey, let it be. Let me share in the sufferings of Christ Jesus. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, verse 12, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters, you standing firm, the evil people and the imposters, we're not, we're not dissing them, but what's just going to happen? They're just going to go from bad to worse. Deceiving, deceiving and being deceived. Again, in comparison, but as for you, Timothy, as for you, Ozarks Bible Church, continue in what you have learned. And he told us to the Ephesians that they learned Jesus. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Again, that's not just a one-time, wham-bam, it's over, I'm saved. It is a life of salvation, of changing you from worm and sinner to saint and servant of Christ Jesus, making you holy and blameless before God in something you could never be because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the salvation that we're speaking of. Not the one that we name and claim and then live like the world, but the one where we long, love, and live for Christ. Verse 16. All Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. So you, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer tonight. You know what we're going to pray? We're going to pray the Bible. We're going to read the Bible. You know what I'm going to do? Verse 1, chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge, the living and the dead, by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Because apart from the preaching of the Word, the hearing of the Word, we cannot have faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. <coughs> Let us not neglect the gathering of the saints. Let us come together under the Word. Let us come together in prayer to seek to set forth Christ and not be deceived and being deceived. Let us unite in Christ. The Lord can do it. If you have conviction over your love for Christ, come and talk to me. Repent and be baptized in Jesus Christ our Lord. If you know you have fallen short, repent 
and turn back to Christ. Seek Him. Seek guidance from a brother or sister in Christ. Come and pray with us tonight. Father God, might you be glorified in our singing, our fellowship, our worship, our preaching, our living, raising our kids, loving our wives, being good neighbors, loving our enemies. Might you teach us and lead us by the Spirit of God. Might we love, live, and long for Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.